You're listening to the Cowboy Talk Podcast, and I must add, this is a pretty big episode for us. I'm your host, Justin Sharp, joined, as always, by co-host Chad Waldron. Hi, Justin. Uh, good to be back, and I listened to my first Cowboy Talk podcast on Spotify this week, so I'm glad to see you got that stuff up and going. Yeah, it's going to be nice. Hopefully, we get quite a bit more listeners off of those new platforms. And on the phone today, huge guest, we have Oregon State Representative Vicki Breeze Iverson. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. So we're going to talk about some state policy related to the two big issues that we have right now, which are COVID-19 with schools and also wildfires that have ravaged our state for about the last month now. Um, But before we get into that, I just want to make the announcement that I made. It would have been the last episode, actually. Uh, So we're on three new podcasting platforms, Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. All of them are probably going to be easier for you to listen to than Podbean. So if you want, I have a whole episode about how to get there. So if you want to go listen to the previous episode, that's what it's about. And you should be able to find it and make things a little bit easier for you. Also, please, please, please share the podcast on social media or word of mouth, whichever way you listen to it. Uh, we're trying to get more listeners. We have some huge guests coming in the next few weeks and obviously right now. So we just kind of want to get more listeners going. So, folks, like I said in the introduction, this is probably the biggest episode we have done yet in terms of magnitude of our guests this week. Uh, As the listeners know, Oregon is facing some pretty tough issues right now. COVID-19 and school openings is an issue that the entire nation is facing, and our state government is playing a huge role in solving that problem. If you're from Oregon or any other surrounding state, you've seen the smoke in the air, and you know that around a million acres have burnt this year so far, and there's a major discussion to be had about preventing the same thing from happening in the future, along with what we could have done better in fighting the ones we have currently. So we've talked about wildfires and more specifically the Braddon fire with RFPA member Kevin Lehman last week. But this week we're going to be talking with Oregon House District 55 representative Vicki Breeze Iverson. So to start, I have a a quote from our county commissioner, James Williams, that says, I fully endorse Representative Iverson as both a northern resident and an elected official. We're very lucky to have her on the north end. So with that, uh, Representative Iverson, will you please introduce yourself? Thank you, Justin. I am Vicki Bree Syverson. I was born and raised in Primeville, so not far from where you guys are at. My roots go back five generations here on a family cattle ranch, and I'm extremely proud of that. I'm also extremely aware of how hard ag has become and continues to be, or to do, as we try to do business, at continues to become more cumbersome. And I'm an advocate for pushing more regional and local controls through everything we're doing at the state level. I think that traditional Oregon, which is everyone in North Lake County and and most of Crick County, we have had a few infill people lately, but for most part, we like our traditional Oregon. And, and that is what I am most proud to represent as I go to Salem every time. Yeah, so according to uh, Ballotpedia.com, you were an FFA member. Is that true? That is true. I was a proud FFA member. Yeah. Yeah. Where did you go to school and what chapter did you belong to? I belong to the Crick County chapter. We, um, and that is where I went to college or to high school. Who was the advisor at that time? Russ, Mr. Russ. Okay. All right. He is. is. No, that's a little bit before my time, but maybe just (laughs) barely. I started in 1995, so I I know uh, Mr. Papke was there, and uh, I can't remember the gentleman right before him, but 
Yeah, okay. So Mr. Papke is a, or or for for many years, was a very good friend of my brother's. And yes. I was going to ask you if you were with the Jerry Breeze family, because I was good friends with yes. Jerry, and he did a lot of work for us at the district level, with the Farm Bureau, and yes. great man, great friend, so. He was he was my brother, and uh, he's been gone for almost nine years now. And and there is not a day that goes by that we don't think of him and miss him. He um, he was slated to come back and take over the family ranch, and that was that was just the way that that the family was moving forward. So when we lost him, it was a very large hole in our in our family, and and we you know there's there's days I'd say we kind of figured things out and we're definitely moving forward but it it's it's a shift and it's been a change and and that guy was the most generous and kind soul that that walked so i there's if you knew him you know he was just a great man yeah but he he did a lot he is yeah he did a lot for us and we talk fondly of him still when i get together with mr mcnary mr papke his name comes up quite often so yeah big loss strong supporter of the ffa group and and especially coming back from from college and being part of Crick county he he was a very strong advocate and and tried to help make sure that the the state ffa and the local ffa chapters were strong as well nice so what did you do as an ffa member were you into cdes or what kind of things did you do wow this is going to pull back some some uh, memory here um i was what did I all do? I, I, I competed in parliamentary procedure and I did the public speaking contests. I enjoyed the judging contests. Um, and then had an FFA project in the, in the local fair. Yes. That's about what most of our members do. Something along the lines of that. Uh, so what did you do before? Well, yeah. What did you do before you decided to run for office then after your time in FFA? (laughs) <laughs> so my my uh, more immediate past history is for the last 20 years I have been a real estate agent and I have represented properties uh, mainly in Crook County but Crook and Deschutes County and in 2012 I along with my partner who is also my mom we opened the Windermere office in Prineville and, and I am still the owner of the Windermere office in Prineville. So we're not a large office. We're what we call a boutique real estate agency, but I have been selling real estate for 20 years now. Um, prior to that, I actually worked at the Capitol and with some elected officials and I always had a, a focus in land use. So it's in natural resource issues. So it, it's almost a, a full circle coming back to the Capitol. It's just on the other side of the desk now. So is that what you say your main motivator for running for office was, is uh, land management and resource uses? Yes. And the the important and the most important thing that I could stress to, to anybody listening to this and to anybody who's who's learning about U.S. government is, you know, our, our country was built on some amazing foundations. And if we don't understand those, we don't know how they work for us. And we are a citizen legislature and we should, as citizens in this state, participate in the opportunities afforded to us and that includes voting as soon as you're you're of age it includes being part of local elections and local government and and then paying attention to how state laws work in in whatever industry you choose to go into when i came back to prineville and i 
got my real estate license, one of the first things I did was get involved with the local association. And the the way that that works is there's I have a license from the state and the real estate agency is a government entity. But there's a trade association that works on behalf of all realtors that that in the state. And it's a separate opportunity to become a member of that trade association. But that trade association for Oregon is one of the largest and most diverse groups that work with an, an industry in Oregon. And we have a large presence in Salem and we try to pay attention to every piece of legislation that's introduced that affects our business. And of course, real estate has a large role with land use. And it, it also talks about, you know, a, a vast array of other things because in involved in real estate is also property management. So there's, there's all the rentals and, and landlord issues that happen as well. So, so as I got my real estate license, I became involved in the local association and thus moved into the trade or the state association and served in a capacity where I was working in a government affairs committee. And I ran, I was the chair of that committee for a couple of years. I worked with the PAC Association, that, that's the political action committee that the members of that trade association could belong to and, and contribute to. And in that capacity, I continued to work with elected officials at the state level, get to know them, try to help shape their values and their ideas on how in different legislation affected the, the real estate and the land use industry. So, so in all of that, yes, I'm, I'm, my heart is, is back on the ranch and I'm I'm definitely part of that today but I've also and I, I for anybody would advocate that whatever industry you get into be a part of what shapes it and and for a lot of that it's your local and state laws well I think that's a pretty great message would you agree Mr. Walden <laughs> yeah and I was you know you talk about you do a lot with land use land use uh, uh, rules so when you get to Salem and start talking and we're going to get more into this but is it like talking a foreign language when you go from the, from the east side to the west side when it comes to land use uh, yes <laughs> that's a really good way to put it the there is a definite urban rural divide we we hear that term used quite often but as as we've seen and talked about from our state com, uh, different committees and and uh, different groups that are loosely and formally pulled together, especially during the, the COVID scenario, there is a real lack of understanding between the, the urban and the rural. And as we saw executive orders come down and they were a blanket executive order across the state for our, our less populous areas and our, our heavily populous areas, we watched that divide get bigger. It is very hard to talk with um, somebody who lives in a in a metro area such as Portland and have them fully appreciate and understand what it means to live in a rural community where you really don't see your neighbor every day and you don't know what they eat for dinner because you're not looking in their window. You, you know, going to town involves a car and many miles. And when you go to town, you stock up because you don't make six trips down the block to the store in a day. Yeah. Well, if we know what that's like, have you ever been to uh, North Lake County or any of this area? 
I was in North Lake County not that long ago. Oh, I, nice. I had a town hall meet and greet in Christmas Valley, and I toured the the school there. Um, the I have apologized for this. I'm blanking on the name of it, but it's the school that's attached to the the church. Solid, Solid right Rock. There. Thank you, Solid yeah. Rock. Yes. <laughs> it was a it was a it was a great tour, and I was so excited to see kids back in the classroom. Um, but I was there just a couple weeks ago, and then I went down to Lakeview for a day and and had a meet and greet and talked with the commissioners in Lake County and and I toured the Bratton Fire and I watched some of the miscommunication that happened as the local firefighters tried to turn the fire over to to uh, state and federal firefighters and and watch some of the things that could be done better. Well, that's actually probably a pretty good segue into talking about fires. So. Uh, it wasn't as bad this time, but are you aware, do you remember what the name of the fire was last year in Paisley? Uh, no, but I thought he was going to bring up Winter Rim Fire, but that was 20 years well, okay. ago. Well, we can talk about that too. I'm not as well versed in that. But so last year we had a big fire in Paisley and one of the ranches down there, they had a cat that started it and they had, I think two or three more cats that were on call, but it was on, I don't remember if it was on BLM or Forest Service that could have stopped and put the whole thing out right there. With RFPA, that's, uh, I don't, do you know what that is? The Rural Fire Protection Association? Yes. Okay, yeah, yes. so they, so they, it sounds like, as far as I know, they could have just put it out right there, and uh, I think it was either the BLM or the Forest Service came in and told them that they need to leave because, I mean, they have jurisdiction, and that was when it completely blew up last year. So what is your opinion on, uh, like, RFPA and associations like that, rangeland firefighters, compared to more state or state and federal agencies like the BLM and the Forest Service? I think that, in the end, all of these agencies need to be able to communicate and work together. And if we don't pay attention to the folks that are on the ground that know the land, that know the community, that know who the landowners are for the – we're – danger is imminent, then we are overlooking one of the biggest resources in rural Oregon. So to that, I think that we need to be able to, we, we all know that, that entities like the RFPA are the ones that, that are the first attack on a fire. They're there, they have equipment, they know they're, they're the front line in the, in the beginning. And as the fire grows or as as the other entities state federal show up and and bring more resources those things are needed as well but we we absolutely need to have communication between the different agencies and we need to have an ability to um, respect each other and not think that there's only one way to to move forward and, and whether it's fire or something else we've got to understand that that Every community has knowledge of, of their own resources, their own abilities. And when we, when we can't accept those and respect those, we probably aren't making good decisions. And I think we're moving closer to that. Did you meet Kevin Lehman? You actually probably did. I did. Okay, yeah. So we had him on the podcast last week, and part of what he was talking about is the deal that they just signed with the Forest Service because before that, the RFPA couldn't even touch Forest Service ground. It was only for Forest Service firefighters. And now they have a deal, so I think that is getting closer to becoming true. Becoming it's getting reality. closer, but you know what? You know what we need to do better in our state, and and I'll just take a minute here to to walk down this road. 
we always we always have these conversations after we've had a catastrophe like the fire. And what we really need to be doing is working this direction on the front end so we don't have the fuels out there to burn. We all know that as as the firefighters look at at the different lays of the land, they they talk about the fuels that are in the federal lands, the fuels that are in the state lands and the much less fuels that are on private land. It's because we manage them differently. And if we could have, I believe you may be talking about the good neighbor impact that that allows some of the the firefighting opportunities from local guys on on state federal lands. And it might have been another path that you were referring to, but but that's something that has been pushed with regard to fighting fires. I think we need to have the same kind of scenario for forest management. Uh, so There's a lot of federal can land. I ask, in can, I, can, I, can I interrupt you a minute? Because I, I want to I go back to a point where you said we need to be talking about this before the fires. Because over on the east side, we have this conversation almost every year. Is it possible this conversation is going to happen in Salem now that these forest fires have devastated the west side as well as the east side? Because, of course, we know this is the case, but apparently the west side don't understand it until it hits home to them. Is there a chance this conversation is going to happen now? I have introduced um, or, or put forward an LC draft, which is a le- legislative concept draft, to create a joint resolution for state and federal timberlands. And, and the whole idea is that we would have a cooperative forest management and catastrophic wildfire and we talk about healthy forests, so we don't have to talk about the fire side. So to your point, yes, we're going to have this conversation. I need to make sure that this piece of legislation is introduced into a committee and that we have hearings on it. And then we have a better opportunity to have a larger conversation. But I do think that the time is right, given the fact that these fires did not just impact the eastern side of our state. You are correct. They they devastated the western side. And I think it's also fair to recognize that, you know, we've had some pretty catastrophic fires on the western side, but they tend to be in a rural area on the coast and they don't impact the populous side of the western side of the state. And that is the portion that we, um, you know, they, they had a lot more smoke this year than they've had in the past. And there were, are a lot more road closures coming over the mountain than they've had in the past. So it is impacting more people this year than in years past. And I do think that's going to help us have this conversation at a, at a higher rate. Yeah. So in California, I was looking, um, I mean, I'm not going to get too political here, but, uh, Jerry Brown finally did admit that they have a lot of work to do for managing their forests in California, since this has been a recurring issue every year. Is there a level of that in the state legislature now? Well, we haven't really gotten to get together since the fire. Yeah, so, okay. <laughs> so two point, no, yet, yet, but we're going to get there. And I say that because it has affected more legislators and in ways that, you know, there's been several that lost their houses this year. There's been many that have had to live with the, with the heavy smoke for longer than years past. And so to that point, yes, I think we're definitely going to be having this conversation. And there's a lot more conversation about how we're rebuilding full communities that have been devastated and lost. And as much as we're talking about the forest management and the the uh, impacts of, of fighting the fire and how we fund the costs of, of fighting those fires, we're also now going to be having conversations about making sure that 
are that our our water stays clean is the the sediment that's in those that's high up in the mountains is going to start running into water and and affecting drinking water in in places that weren't touched by the fire we're going to have conversations about the the communities that need to rebuild but we have to give them some some help along the way and we're going to be doing that in a year that we're going to we're going to be watching low income levels for the state so we won't be having an extra abundance of of dollars to deal with or to to provide grants so i think that on many fronts we're going to be having this conversation and i think the good thing is is that um that we we we're going to have a broader appreciation for what that looks like instead of pigeonholing it into wildfires it's it's going to have a a bigger conversation this time it's going to affect a lot more agencies a lot more budgets at the state level i think that's a great answer and a great uh great approach because it doesn't matter, you know, Democrat, Republican, when you start talking about water quality and having clean water, everybody's going to mm-hmm. perk up. And I, I think that's a great, a great way to approach the uh, forest management issue. Thank you. You know, I sit on the water committee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I do think, you know, just one other small point I'll, I'll make, and, and we don't, food for thought, we'll go that direction. Water is going to be our our really big conversation this next session and and for the next few years um you know in the in the 1970s they created senate bill 100 which was the beginning of land use in in oregon and i think that we are facing as a state a lot of emphasis on water and if 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 you would like to liken it to the land use bill, that's what's coming. And so we need to be very thoughtful. We need to really look at, at the diversity of our state and, and again, the, the local differences between the geographical differences of our state because we have such, first of all, we have a lot of miles in our state, but but to that point, we also have a, a vast difference of, of rural versus urban and, and populous areas. So we've got to have a bigger conversation about what this looks like and how we set it up. Yeah, so in wildfire prevention with forest management, would you say that um, that environmental regulations are probably the biggest thing that's blocking forest management to take place right now, or is there other factors in that too? I think there's a lot of factors in that. I definitely wouldn't minimize the environmental factors. I think that what we really need to talk about is how do we have a, a healthy forest concept that goes across the ownership portion of our state lands. And and by state lands, I mean inclusive all the lands in Oregon. Because as I mentioned earlier, the, the state lands tend to, they're managed at one level, the federal lands are managed at a different level. And then as, as they look, you look at private lands, they're, they're managed, they have less fuels, they have more open canopies in their forests. And I think if we could have a management plan across to all three of those entities that work together, we wouldn't have these conversations where if it's in the federal lands, let it burn, which by the way, drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Me or as it, as it goes from one to the next, that we're having conversations of, well, we know that when it hits, you know, Joe's property over here, it's going to it's going to settle down because there's no fuels over there to burn. When I hear those conversations out over, you know, listening to the to the IC 
guys talk in in the fire the actual fire setting or you listen to the the local rfp guys talking about how how this fire is going to blow up over here and it's going to sit down over here we need to be really analyzing why we're having those conversations and the reason is because those forests are managed differently so why aren't we managing them all to a degree that doesn't allow such fuel loads yeah. And that's a bigger conversation that we need to, we can't as a, as a state legislature, if I could get the, you know, some, some really good healthy forest law passed, the federal government doesn't have to recognize it because they have their own lands and they can manage their lands their way. Yeah. What we really need is a good impact between federal, state, and private so that we have better forest management on a whole. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, so what are some other key issues that you've been fighting for since you're elected the off- elected office? <laughs> have you heard of a, a group called OSHA? Yeah, yeah, I have actually. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I fought very hard this summer to, to try to get OSHA to not implement temporary rules as permanent rules in light of the pandemic. And what they, I, I'll try to, make it brief but what they've done is they they brought some regulation that they wanted us to agree to at one of our special sessions and it was introduced in one of our bills we talked about it we all agreed that it was not the right time and it was not the right set of rules to impose on businesses that were struggling and and most of these particular rules centered around all the the different policies that the businesses needed to adopt to allow people to in to come into their business you know and we're talking about sanitation the masks the hand sanitizers the the sanitizing the the counters and the doorknobs and the displays and everything and that's just the the retail side of business there's there's so much more to this but but what they what they did then as we talked about it at one of our our special sessions and and worked with our colleagues across the aisle and agreed that this was not good law to implement at this point. And we took that off the table. And after we signed, he died, OSHA got together and the director put together some new temporary rules that they pushed out that were very reminiscent of what we had taken off the table. So, so in essence, they put rule in place that mimicked proposed law that we said no to. Now they've taken this this temporary rule, and they're planning to make it effective or make it a, a a permanent rule in October, and or move it towards a permanent rule starting in October. And and what that does to businesses is it layers so much more regulation and 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 really policing on some level of of every client that walks through the doors. It's going to it's going to be really tough on every business, but it also gives that state agency a whole lot of of um, clout, if you will, and it takes the legislature out of the out of the mix, which is what the legislature is there for. Um, what we did was we we put together a strong grassroots campaign that allowed people, citizens, to know what was happening, write letters, emails, make phone calls, and get involved in the process. The director of OSHA came back and said that he received more input from the public and 
legislature, legislators and commissioners across the state than he normally ever receives on proposed rules. And it made a difference. So I'm not done fighting that because they're still trying to push infectious disease rules forward. And I don't agree with them. I don't think that we should use the state as a as a blanket concept. We've got to have regionalization in all of these because whatever happens in Lake County isn't going to happen the same way in Multnomah County. Um, but that's been a, a, a large focus of mine for this, this summer months. Well, I think that's probably a great thing to fight for, just, I mean, that specifically, especially, but in general, it just seems like lately under, you know, state associations, it seems like we've been seeing a lot of non-legislative processes taking place in terms of pandemic rules and a lot of other things. Yes, and it's not, it's it's every one of those state agencies that is looking at, at what can we do, what can we do that the legislature didn't do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's reasons why the legislature didn't do it. Yeah, and that's definitely not how the system's supposed to work. No, no, it's not. Yeah. And and to that point, what we really need is is something other than a supermajority in our House and, and in the Senate and across the, the three arms of government in that Capitol building. We need to have better conversations, and that happens when we have balance. Yeah. So we're up right almost 30 minutes here. So to close, for many people my age that see the fires and other issues and want change, what do you think their role is in advocating for change, and what can we do to help? Be part of the process. That, that whole explanation of OSHA was really to point out that the grassroots side of, of our efforts makes a difference. And I think in in things, everything political and, and probably everything in, in society lately, the grassroots side of our, our efforts have, have kind of gone away from what I remember. Um, and that's that's people talking to people. It's, it's talking in, within your friendship networks and it's talking to people that maybe aren't just in your community, but, but your friends, you've got friends through that FFA group that are across the state. And, and are you talking to all those folks and, and who are they talking to? And it's, it's really pushing out your, your concerns or your questions and trying to find ways to be involved either locally or at the state and be part of that process. Yeah, I know one person who's doing it, and that's Justin, because that's why he started this podcast to yeah. begin with. So, good job, it Justin. It's a great podcast. I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna have to go start finding this now that you're on so many mediums. Well, okay, I don't. I think I might have emailed the links to uh, was Austin. I think is who I, yes. I, I've been emailing. I think I emailed the links, but if I didn't, I'll make sure that I do that um, as soon as we get done here. So, massive thank you to Representative Breeze Iverson for coming on the podcast and taking the time to answer our questions and discuss these issues with us. We would definitely be happy to have you back on the show whenever you like. Uh, you've been listening to the Cowboy Talk podcast, now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and as always, Podbean. So simply open your app or your app of preference, search Cowboy Talk, and listen until you're sick of the sound of my voice. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming on, Congressman Breeze. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. This was, this was fun. I hope I didn't rattle too much. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you guys have a great day. You too.